Grace, mercy, and peace be with you, my friends in Christ, from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. If you weren't here with us last week, we started a, a, a three-week sermon series uh, on, the, on the topic of generosity. And in these three weeks, we're, we're talking about our attitudes, our motivations, and our actions uh, when it comes to generosity. Now last week, um, if you were here uh, on the way out of church, you received an envelope, and in that envelope was $2. So everybody that was in worship got $2, no matter, no matter their age. Uh, even the smallest people got $2 uh, for what we call the $2 challenge. And I, and I challenged you to see what you can do with two. How could you be a blessing to somebody with just $2? If you weren't here last week, um, on the way out of church today, our ushers uh, do have some $2 challenge envelopes left. I, I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, take an envelope. The rest of the rules for this $2 challenge are on that envelope. Uh, but, but what we're also asking is, as you uh, go and bless other people with this small gift in a bold way, uh, we're asking you to submit your stories. You can do that uh, by emailing $2challenge at copperluth.org. And we'd love to hear and share some of these stories as well. As, as we work our way through these three themes of our attitudes, our motivations, and our actions, today we're on this second theme, our, our motivations. Our motivations when it comes to generosity. But before we get started, before we get too far into this, last week after the service, uh, we asked some people, uh, what are their motivations for being generous? I want to share some of those stories with you now. Take a look at this video. I suppose I'm motivated to be generous because people have been generous to me in my life and I was raised that way, so whatever gifts I have, I share with, with the other folks around me. Uh, what motivates me to be generous is um, how I was raised and then also it allows God's love to kind of flow through me, uh, I guess, so just being able to uh, repay what has been given to me uh, motivates me. Well, uh, because people have been generous to me, and uh, I had wonderful parents, and I grew up in a wonderful home, and, and uh, they were amazingly, wonderfully, dutifully generous to me. I, all I can do is but try to give it back the best I can. It makes you feel really good to help others. Um, that's what God wants us to do. We are the hand and feet of Jesus, and that's what he wants us to do is to help others. And so he definitely motivates me to help others and just the feeling that it gives you to be generous to others. It's a great feeling. The love of Christ. Uh, he has given us everything we have. It is only right that we give back to others and to the community and to our church. Uh, by that research study called the generosity gap. 
But last week, I did share with you um, some reasons from this study that people say that they are generous. And, and here are some of those reasons. I want to sh- share this with you again as we talk about our motivations. Here are some reasons people say they are generous. To reflect God's character by showing love to others. To give back in appreciation for God's generosity to us. To become more like Christ. Because our time and resources do not belong to us. To show faith and trust in God to provide for our needs. To build God's kingdom through community. Because we are commanded to be generous and to contribute to solving many of the world's problems. Those are all wonderfully good, uh, even Christian Orthodox positions on reasons to be generous. Not really one of them is wrong, but I ask you, what motivates you to be generous? Because I think what, what it is that you're thinking about, what's moving you in your heart, probably affects the way and, and, and the timing that you go about being generous. So, why do you live generously? I want to look at a story today from the scriptures. It's our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 18. We read it just a minute ago all together, uh, but it's good for us to, to repeat this. So let me read this for you again. It'll be up on the screen, or you can pull it up. Luke chapter 18. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus is telling this parable because there are these people, these Pharisees, who are trusting in themselves that they were righteous on account of what they had done. And because they thought so highly of themselves, they treated others with contempt. That means they they talked down to them. They thought less of the other people. Now just a little background. Pharisees were Jewish people. And at the time, I suppose you could actually say they were good Jews. They they did what they were supposed to do, and they did it by crossing all the T's and dotting all of the I's of God's law. That was what made a Pharisee a Pharisee. They thought that their righteousness before God was based in how well they kept God's laws. So you know what they did? They worked their best to keep all of God's laws. But what this leads to in sinful, selfish human nature is to be turned inward and to think less of other people. You see it, right, in the prayer here of this Pharisee. What did he pray? He prayed like this. God, I, I just want to give you thanks today that I'm not like these other people. They're, they're pitiful, aren't they? The unjust, the adulterers, the, 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 the what, what else does he call them? The swindlers, the stealers, right? Why would you want to be like that? Lord, thank you that I'm not like that. And thank you that I'm not even like this tax collector here. I ask you today, in all all honesty, have you ever prayed like that before? Have you ever 
prayed like that. Maybe you've prayed, God, thanks for at least not making me to be an evil person. Thanks for not making me a murderer or a, or a terrorist, right? Thanks, God, that you put me in the family that I'm in. Maybe you've prayed like that. But what about on a, on a real personal level? With real people that you know. I'm asking you to be honest in your, in your gut here. Have you ever thought to yourself, God, I, I really am better than that person. I really am. Just, just come on, God, think about it. I, I give 10% of my income. I tithe. I, I volunteer. I go to church every week. But these other people, what's the deal with them? They don't do anything, right? How come, how come God, I, I think, God, if more people were just like me, this world would be much better off. Yeah? No? You ever prayed or thought like that before? Contrast that kind of attitude with the attitude and the prayer of the tax collector, because what was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, sinner. Tax collectors at this time, they really were oftentimes liars and cheats. They were. They usually bribed their way to get their position, and then they used it to extort other people. They just were oftentimes not very good people. This tax collector knows his sin. He confesses his sin. He acknowledges his sin, and his sin even affects his posture and his approach into the temple of God. You saw it, right? The Pharisee, we get this picture of the Pharisee that he just marches his way into the temple, getting as close to God's presence as he can, raises his hands, and looks on contempt with other people. The tax collector, knowing his sin, says he stays off at a, at a distance. He can't even manage to lift his eyes up into heaven, and he beats his breast. He is so beat up and conflicted over his sin that the only words he can utter are this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now this is a parable, right? Jesus is teaching this story. He's telling this story. Not, not, it didn't really happen in history. Probably things have happened like it. Jesus is telling us to demonstrate a point to these Pharisees who think highly of themselves and look on contempt with others. He's telling them this parable, and he says, what about the tax collector? I tell you, this tax collector, this day, went home justified. Why? Because whoever exalts himself, whoever lifts himself up, will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself thinks less of himself will be exalted. That's what Jesus says. So, to you, my friends, today, with that strong word of Jesus, I just ask you, those of you who are sitting here today, which one of you considers yourself to be the most humble person in this room? Go ahead and stand up. You, no, you, the most humble one. Okay, before anybody actually stands up, don't. Don't. You, you cannot claim to be the most humble person, right? You, you can't make that claim about yourself. Instead of having the most humble person in this room stand up, let me say it like this. When it comes to generosity, I, I believe that the mo our motivation for generosity ought to begin with humility. 
When it comes to our motivation to be generous, it ought to begin with our humility. That Pharisee, he bragged about his financial generosity, right? He bragged about the fact that he gives a tithe, a tenth of his income, of, of everything. He bragged about his personal spiritual disciplines. He built and exalted himself up, correct? When the only words that the tax collector could utter were, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I believe that everything really begins in a spirit of humility. As we approach God, we approach the Almighty in a spirit of humility. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We know our sin too well to approach the perfection of God's throne. We begin in that relationship as we approach God in humility. We receive God's gifts humbly because we know we are not deserving of the things that he gives to us. Life and eternal life and all the provisions of life. So we receive it humbly. And then when we are generous in this world, when we share these gifts of God, we do it humbly. Not wanting anything in return, not wanting um, uh, more of a stature, not wanting a return on our investment. We just do it for the sake of our neighbors. Everything comes back to this place of humility. Because what does humility do? I believe that humility forces us to give credit to someone else. When we are humble, we are forced to give credit to someone else. So in terms of generosity, last week we defined generosity as acknowledging the origins of the gifts, right? So in generosity, what we are doing is we are acknowledging that anything that I have that I can give first was given to me by God. That's what generosity means. I acknowledge that God gives to me in order that I can give to others, right? We recognize and acknowledge that God first gave everything to us. Therefore, when we acknowledge that we are by definition, being humble, we're not giving our credit to ourselves. God gets all the credit for everything. But I need to be honest with you this morning. As a, as a fellow human, sinful person just like you, I, I know how this works because I know my own heart, mind, and, and life. I think as naturally sinful people, oftentimes generosity puts us into a place of inconvenience. I think when we are living generously as God's people in this world, it puts us often in places of inconvenience for us. Last week, we looked at that Bible story from Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, right? Where, where Abel brought an offering to God of, of the, the fattest portion of the, his firstborn sheep. He brought the very best of the best. Personally, for Abel, that would have been an inconvenience. There are many, many, many places in the scriptures that talk about when you bring your offerings or your sacrifices before God, you bring your first fruits, you bring the best of the best, you bring that first, and then you live off the rest. Why? Because when we do that, oftentimes we say, man, that's actually kind of an inconvenience. I wish that I had that back for myself to live off of, right? When we live generously, it puts us into a place of inconvenience. Last week, 
We read the gospel lesson where Jesus was in the temple with his disciples and they were watching people drop their offerings into the temple. And Jesus praised the poor widow living in poverty who dropped in two of the smallest little coins into the offering. He praised her when he denounced the rich people who were dropping in large sums. Why? Because Jesus said that woman gave out of her poverty. It absolutely was an inconvenience to her. Here's the cool thing about when we live in this kind of inconvenient generosity. In times of inconvenient generosity, we have opportunities to sacrificially love like Jesus and radically trust in him at the same time. Let me say that again. When we give inconveniently, generously, we have opportunities to sacrificially love like Jesus and radically trust in him at all I want to share a little a personal story here, um, and I want to be very, very, very careful that, that this doesn't come across as uh, making it seem like I'm trying to be like a Pharisee, okay? So the reason that I'm sharing this story is I want to share with you how difficult it actually is for me to live generously and how imperfectly I do it. So I'm using myself as, as an example of how difficult of a struggle this is often. But here, here's the deal. Nine years ago, my wife, Abby, and I decided to start tithing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, get into the, what, the definition of this in the Bible. But what, what is a tithe? A tithe is literally 10% of your income. So, so nine years ago, we made, we made this conscious decision to, to give 10% of our income to the church above and beyond, before anything else, before we uh, budget for our household expenses or anything. Um, before that, we had given absolutely nothing. We, we did not give anything to anybody, anywhere. We probably had more uh, personal, spiritual, financial difficulties and struggles when we weren't giving anything. Income didn't change. We just made the conscious decision, we're doing this. And we haven't looked back, and most of the time it's been a blessing, but I can tell you there have been many times where it has been quite a bit of an inconvenience as well. There have been many times uh, where we're making our household budget, and we say, ugh. We would have so much more money if we did not give 10% of our income right off, right off the top. But, but here's the deal. Uh, you know, in those times of inconvenience, and in, in, in those times of heartbreak, and in those times of oh, wanting to hold on to it and be tight-fisted, I will tell you that we have probably prayed together as a couple more about finances than we would in any other kind of situation. We find ourselves trusting in God's provisions right off the top and, and, and then all the way down to the bottom. And honestly, here's the deal, honestly, somehow, every single time that we think it's not possible, God provides. Believe it or not, he does. Now, maybe that's just my experience, but I know it's not because I've talked to some of you as well who live in a similar sort of way. I want you to know because I don't know if you know this, but as a church, as a congregation, uh, when you give your offerings here, uh, before we do anything for ourselves, we give 10% of those offerings to ministries outside of our doors. Okay, so we, we support other churches, other ministries, other agencies, locally and throughout the world. 10% we take, we, we give before we uh, even do anything here. And I'll tell you, um, those, of those in leadership positions, when we make budgets here at our church, our budgets are always very, very tight. And I think that they always will be. And honestly, you know, you, you go through this, and if you're just looking at numbers, you could easily say, wow, we could easily balance this budget if we just held on to that 10% 
and just took care of it ourselves and didn't give anything, we would have more than enough money. But would that get rid of the worry or the anxiety or the fear? Or would it increase contentedness? I don't think so. And honestly, from my own personal experience, I think when we hold on to those gifts of God, it oftentimes exacerbates the fear and the worry because we're trying to take matters into our own hands. But when we give generously first, right away, we're just simply saying, God, thank you for these good gifts. Here we go. Bless me, watch over me, provide for my needs. We don't wait until hope has run out to trust in God's blessings. We trust in his blessings first and then trust in it all the way down to the bottom. I pray that that makes sense for you. Here's the deal. While I believe that living generously, not just, not just financially, but with our time even, when we live generously with our time even, that too is oftentimes an inconvenience for us. When we live generously, we are often inconvenienced, but here's even the more cool thing. In our inconvenient generosity, God gives an immense amount of contentedness. And I believe that God has the capability to give us a sort of beyond our wildest imagination type contentedness with life, even in the midst of inconvenience. We can be content during inconvenient generosity. We read about this in Philippians 4 today. Philippians chapter 4 today, the Apostle Paul said this, I have learned in all things, in any and every circumstance, to be content with what I have. Why? Why does he say this? It goes, that's verse 11, uh, verse 13 that says, why can we be content? Because in Jesus Christ I can do all things who gives me strength. How is it possible for us to reach a level of contentment? I talk to so many people. I think what people are missing in this life is that all oh, contentedness of what we have. We try, we try, we try to find it, but all the places that we look in this life don't deliver, and ultimately what we find is that in Jesus we have our strength. In Jesus we have what we need. In Jesus, absolutely everything that we need for all of eternity is taken care of. You have eternal life. That hope that we have is sure and it's certain and it's going to be delivered on. You have everything you need for all of eternity. It's taken care of. Therefore, I do believe, and I think the scriptures are clear on this, that Christians should probably be the most content and the least comfortable of all people. I think that Christian people should probably be the most content and the least comfortable of all people. We can be the most content because our eternity is in the hands of the one who is eternal. Everything we need for all of eternity is taken care of. We can be the most content. We're oftentimes called to be the least comfortable because Jesus calls us to radically follow him in selfless ways, in humility, acknowledging that anything that we have was given to us first. And then he calls us to live generously in this world. And that makes us oftentimes not comfortable. But I think we need to be not comfortable because as soon as we become comfortable Christians, we become a little bit too much like that Pharisee and we don't recognize the stick in our own eye. And then we become too quick to look on contempt and judgment on other people instead of selflessly and sacrificially living generously for the sake of our neighbors. So, as we talk about our motivations for generosity today, what kinds of questions can you ask yourself 
to check your motivations for generosity. You might want to ask yourself, in this moment of generous living, am I being humble in this? Or am I just looking for attention and a return on my investment? You could also ask yourself, is this moment of generous living inconveniencing me? Or is this actually really easy for me to do? You may want to ask yourself those questions, but here's the thing, my dear friends in Christ, no matter what your motivation ends up being, because our motives are flawed, our motives are broken, sinful, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, I've already told you that. Here's the deal, no matter what your motivations are, I think it's good for us one more time to look at why Jesus justifies the tax collector. What was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, sinner. Thank God that we can see in this one short prayer that God justifies people who pray like this. God justifies sinful, broken people. These are the people that God has come for, people like you and people like me. Sinful, selfish people who beat our breasts, can't lift up our eyes to heaven, and God says, yes, you. I love you. I want you. You are mine. You belong to me now and for all of eternity. My dear friends in Christ, as you receive God's gifts, I pray that you do humbly, and I pray that as you are generous, you do it humbly and boldly. Today, don't be like the Pharisee. Today, be like the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he says, I will be. You are mine. You are loved. In the name of Jesus.